Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Did you know that for only $27 per month, you can now gain unlimited access to more than $2,000 worth of resources, courses, and video archives, all built to help you build a better business, be a better leader, and live a happier life as a small firm architect? And we're adding more every month. Learn more about Entree Architect Academy at entrearchitect.com. You're listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 176. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. I'm back with another episode from our new podcast series called, well, it's not so new anymore, is it? We're in, got a bunch of these in the can now. It's a podcast series called The Entrepreneur Architect, where I'm interviewing members of the Entree Architect community, real live small firm architects telling their stories, inspiring, motivational stories. We talk about where people learned about architecture, how they became architects, and what they're doing today to give back to society as architects, as small firm architects, as entrepreneur architects. Today is a very inspiring story. I spoke to a new friend of mine. We've been following each other on social media for a while. Finally got to speak to her, and I 
am so excited to introduce Danny Cesario, Entrepreneur Architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, FreshBooks, NCARB, BQE Software, and RCAT. And I'm going to share more about these great companies and organizations later in the show. But as we get started here, just take a quick note to schedule some time this week to go visit each one of them and let them know that their support is appreciated by us, the Entree Architect community. Danny Cesario, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you for having me, Mark. Uh, it's great having you here. Danny is the 333rd black female architect in history. I love that. I love that you you announced that right off the bat, and I love that you are you uh, are 333rd uh, in history. That's pretty awesome. Uh, hailing from Manchester, England, she became enamored with at a very early age uh, with New York City and the buildings that contributed to its architectural prestige. Danny's professional career began in tandem with her scholarly pursuits at the City College of New York, uh, New York Spitzer School of Architecture. There, she served as treasurer of the AIAS uh, CCNY chapter and earned the J. Max Bond Jr. Memorial Scholarship while working on complex public sector projects throughout the city. She's currently the youngest project architect at Francis Kaufman Architects, managing the execution of multifaceted healthcare projects. So, Danny, I just gave a little bit about you. I, I want you to sort of fill in the blanks. Uh, Go back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to become an architect, and uh, share your origin story. Okay, so as you mentioned, I moved here from England when I was about six years old. Um, my parents are from either side of the pond. So my brother, sister, and I were raised on both sides. So pretty much every year we would move back and forth between one or the other. So I was raised probably equally between England and America. Um, the spaces for us always changed. So home was always where my family was, but the actual built structure of home was, was different, was varying. Um, houses, apartments, all sorts of things. And on a, on a wider scope, like looking at the city that you lived in. So being from Manchester, which is post-industrial, and with a, a deep history, and then seeing the scale shift when we came to New York for the first time with all the skyscrapers and all of that, I was pretty interested in, in the way that space was made and how that resonated with different people um, across time. There are places in Manchester that, and, and in London that still hold specific memories to me that you, know, you or somebody else won't have. So... In essence, space is a bit of a, a time capsule yeah. for your own life and, and for the lives of the people that interact with it. Yeah. So so um, so you had this this sort of um, two sides of the of the Atlantic experience came to uh, America ex inspired by the buildings in New York City. Um, where where did it take you from that point to where? you are now. Um, where did you go to? You went to school in New York, right? Yes. So when I was, um, I was educated on both sides of the pond too. So I've got, you know, GCSEs and finished um, secondary school there. 
and here as well. So I've graduated from high school. I always wanted to come back to the city, though. Um, not so much of, for a preference of England versus America, but I was just always drawn to the energy that New York City had. And so uh, when I was sending out my college applications, I wanted to stay fairly close by. My my mom at the time had different designs. She wanted me to <laughs> to, <laughs> to go back to England and and do my education there, um, but I it just it didn't feel right to me. So I got into City College and a few other schools, um, but I wanted to stay within the city. And it so turned out that when I'd gone to England as as my mom had wanted me to following high school completion here, they actually called and said that my spot was open and I had a full scholarship and all of that. So that was my leverage for coming back to the city that I fell in love with when I was six years old. And from then it was it was a little bit of a tug of war between my parents and I in terms of, you know, where I wanted to be and where I sort of wanted to lay down my roots. Because, you know, by by eighteen I was a bit over the <clears throat> over the moving back and forth yeah and just wanting to to have some consistency on my own terms like what felt right to me to Danny yeah um so city college was it for me and after the first year there at the time I was commuting back and forth between New Jersey where we had moved finally uh, <laughs> and New York City and um I wanted, I, I found out the hard way what architecture school entailed, the long hours and long studio hours, and then yeah. finding myself on the trains at two o'clock in the morning, it just wasn't really conducive, I felt, for the education that I wanted to sort of immerse myself into it. So I spoke to my parents again and said, look, I want to move close by. And actually, along with a friend, was able to find an apartment on Convent Avenue, which is the same street that City College is located on. Yeah. And it so happened that eventually the school built a brand new building and it was actually closer to my apartment. <laughs> so I, I got to live there, be educated there and work relatively close by. <clears throat> and um, I think that for me, that was it was a pivotal moment in my personal life and in, in, and also in my career and education because it, I think it was the first time that I established for myself exactly what I wanted as an architect and as a, a young woman. So that was interesting. It was yeah. a, an interesting journey. I should also like backtrack and say from the time I, from as early as I can remember, I was always drawing and, and creating something out of nothing so I would take a blank piece of paper and you know draw people and draw um places and all sorts of things like I, I just remember sort of laying on the floor wherever we were and sketching and drawing always with a pencil in hand my dad is an engineer so he knew all about um technical drawings and isometrics and all of that stuff um didn't that didn't really appeal to me quite as much but I think that he and my mom saw that I had an eye for it and they, they sort of fostered that. Um, I will also say that in London, when we lived there, there was a 
Gothic church at the very top of a of a, a massive hill that we'd walk up to when on our way home. It was called um, Church Hill. It's in southeast London, and. I remember asking my mom how it was built, who built it, how long did it take, and like all these questions that you're not really right. expecting from a six-year-old. She didn't have all the answers, but she really did point me towards where I could find them. So between those conversations and you know the moving and also coming to City College, I think it was a culmination of, of finding out all of those answers for myself and setting a path forward for the years that would come. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you remember the moment or or the period? Because it sounds like architecture has always been part of you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as far back as you can remember that you were drawing and, and creating and, and inspired by architecture. Do you remember the, the time where you said, or you learned what an architect was and decided that's what I want to be? Or has, so as, it, or has as, it just always been part of who you are and it just, that's was never an option that that's not what you would be it it's always been something for for me it's always been the career that I wanted so I knew at six um to your question of have I always known what it was and and all of that I'm still figuring out <laughs> what exactly an architect um does it's not that I, I'm yeah. not sure but there are so many facets to our profession that you know, it's multidisciplinary. You you can you can find yourself in so many different roles and still be an architect. Um, it's I think it's more in in the process, you know, that we go through the the problem solving, which everybody brings up, but also not just solving the problem, but doing it beautifully, yeah, and um, elegantly, and touching on your experiences and your knowledge base and speaking to people. Um, the pivotal moment for me was being on on that hill going up to church rise. I remember that and I remember the feeling that I felt in my heart. Like it's it's just like when you whenever you go uh someplace and I, I remember seeing you at the tour for the Kalatrava building when we were at, yes, at yep. the convention at the conference in Orlando and it's like when you the feeling you feel when you see a gorgeous piece of architecture, something that's been well executed and well thought out. And, you know, the people that are inside of it are enjoying it. It's that, I guess the only way to describe it is that like warm fullness of heart, I guess. Yeah. That, that's the, the best way. Yeah. 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 So that, that was what I felt at Church Rise. And that's what I continually strive for in my profession and in all the other things I'm involved with. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So you uh, you became an architect, and that's one big goal that you achieved, uh, and, and a very big goal because you've, that's been a goal your whole life. Um, has there been any other big goals that you've sort of focused on, set that goal, and achieved it? Can you share that a story about that and, and how you achieved that goal? Mm. That's a very good question. So uh, I think starting to work as, as early as I did. I started working um, a little bit more than part-time, but less than full-time in my second year of university. And I, I think the exposure to the field helped me um, figure out what I wanted in terms of my own career. 
Um, I think goals, though, I mean, one of the biggest goals, I'll say, was for me to, like you said, become an architect. And that was almost three years ago that I finally completed it. So it was a 20-odd year long journey between, I know it's not called IDP anymore, but um, AXP. AXP, The the first IDP um, application that I'd sent in was in paper form. So I'd started a while while ago. And um, I think the goal for me was always that. And then after I met that goal, I sort of found myself in the, what now? What do I do now? What do I obsess about now? Like, what is the driving force, you know? Because, you know, you you work so hard. I can relate very, very strongly to that because I I also learned very early in my life Mm -hmm. uh, about architecture and decided, decided when I was 10 that Mm -hmm. I'm going to be an architect and put the blinders on and never looked at anything else and hit Mm -hmm. all my goals along the way. And when I achieved it, I had that same feeling. Now what? Yeah. But the the funny thing that happened in in my life was that some of the things that I didn't know were goals for me just sort of happened. You know, like you make a plan and then life happened. So I met my husband now when I was in second year of school. Um, Not finishing school was never an option for me. We ended up getting engaged in, I think, in fourth year. And it was somewhat... It was more about being aware of what felt right to me and what felt um, what made me feel fulfilled. I think that that's been the driving force through my life. So eventually I was a wife and then after that I became a mom. And the first time I became a mom also coincided with when I was taking my exams. So the goals the goals aren't, it's not that it's a moving target, but your goals, I think they evolve as you evolve. So, um, what did it mean to become a wife? What did it mean to become uh, a mom eventually? What did it mean to become an architect? And I think that my goal became after all of those like different titles and responsibilities, um, after I, after I sort of accrued them, what does that mean for myself? Like, you know, you, you're, you're like mommy and honey and all of these different things. Right. But at the base of it, you're always, you know, Danny or your Mark, you're always yourself and staying true to that core person for you, that 10 year old. And for me, that six year old at the top of the hill, um, staying true to that as your life becomes more complicated and more rich in so many ways, and as you grow up, I think that that's been become the goal for me. Not selfishly, but just being able to like identify still, regardless of your responsibilities, what is what is the core for you? Like what's important? That's you know? such a good answer. I love that answer. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, FreshBooks, NCARB, and BQE Software. You already know all about RCAT and their free BIM objects and their CAD details and their specifications and product information, all free, ready for you to use. 
Well, today I want to share something new from RCAT. It's called Charette. Charette is a tool for sharing and collaborating with your colleagues and clients online in real time. You can upload photos and files, share specs and product information directly from the RCAT database, as well as from other sources on the internet. I've been playing with Charette in beta for a while now, and it's really cool. And now it's available to you. I encourage you to go check it out. Visit RCAT online and click the Charette icon right there on the homepage. And like everything offered at RCAT, Charette is a free tool for us small firm architects too. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. 192 hours. You wish you had that much free time? That works out to about two business days every month. And when you're a small firm architect using FreshBooks cloud accounting software, that's the amount of administration time that you could save in 2017. That's time that you can spend doing the things you love, like being an architect. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team by project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com freshbooks to access FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entre Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Do you know someone in your firm who's always dreamed of getting licensed, but was unable to complete the experience requirements? Well, maybe that person's you. Now you can get back on track with NCARB's new AXP portfolio. With this option, seasoned professionals can complete the Architectural Experience Program, the AXP, formerly known as the IDP, by submitting an online portfolio. Along with meeting your state's education and examination requirements, the portfolio will help you and your employees get one step closer to becoming a licensed architect. Learn more about NCARB's AXP portfolio at entrearchitect.com slash NCARB. One of the most often requested resources here at Entre Architect is project management software. How do we keep our projects and our people organized while we grow as entrepreneur architects? BQE Software, an AIA Advantage partner and the makers of ArchiOffice will show us how. ArchiOffice is the only office and project management software designed specifically for architects. It will help us manage people and projects and allow us to focus on designing great architecture. Whether you're working remotely or on site, ArchiOffice allows you to monitor the status of your projects and tasks and send out invoices in an accurate and timely manner. Entree Architect podcast listeners can get a fully functional 15-day trial of ArchiOffice today at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. RCAT, FreshBooks, NCARB, and BQE software. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Through that process, I'm sure there's been struggles. Uh, can you talk about some of the struggles that you've that you've uh, experienced through that process? Mm -hmm. uh, so, I think, oh boy, the struggle. <laughs> I think a lot of your listeners and and you as well will will know that the the struggle 
there's no specific struggle. It's all it's all scale to scale and different magnitude. I mean, in this in a given week, it's uh, you know a hundred different struggles, and the actual the actual struggle is how to manage all of the struggles and still overcome, and still remain positive, and still keep going. Um, so it's a bit of a struggle of the mind, and you know. I think we've all had those those moments in bed where it's like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and then your anxiety might get the best of you. <laughs> and you start worrying about work and, you know, your home life and am I doing a good job and, you know, am I, am I, am I just really crap? You know, you know those, those sorts of things. So it's, it's, it's overcoming that and, and going, keep going, trying to keep going and making opportunities out of the struggles that you face. I think, um, I think, as you mentioned before, as a black female architect, a woman of color in an industry that doesn't necessarily have the best representation of other people like myself, and then adding on to that, also being relatively young, like on the lower side, <clears throat> of 30 I've just turned 30 and um also being a mom and all of that I think some people will see that as a struggle or things that may limit you but I think that those experiences and those responsibilities add a certain richness to the architecture that you provide it, it provides a, like another layer of sensitivity and empathy to the people that you serve in and um, I think that that's become something that I'm very passionate about, you know, giving voice to the people that, you know, maybe they've just finished school and they, they just, maybe they've run out of steam or they can't be bothered anymore. Love architecture, but probably it's going to become a hobby now and less of a, a career pursuit. I, I want to tell those people that the struggle is, is similar for many of us. But there is something to be said about coming out on the other side of it and, you know, earning your seat at the table and being able to represent, you know, what so many people will see as a minority demographics or minority like aspects and things like that. I think that you, you have to keep showing up and you have to keep striving forward and taking all of those struggles, packing them under your belt and making them make you stronger, empowering yourself. Yeah. Was there was there any specific moment that was a, an aha moment, something that that just sort of appeared, something that happened, and everything sort of pivoted from that moment forward? Yeah, I, I touched on it earlier. Um, it was when I was eighteen, and I sort of fought for my independence and what I wanted. And it, it was, it's no, it's no, um, no fault of my parents. I, I think I understand now being on the side. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Understanding as a parent, like ultimately you want the best for your children, but sometimes as, as parents, we sort of, um, we enforce, what we think is best because we don't really want our children to make mistakes. Yeah. And I, I'm my mom's firstborn and you know, 
a girl as well. So she's extra protective. Yeah. Same with my dad, but my dad is, a, you know, the cool dad, you know, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that that pivotal moment, that aha moment for me was like, if, if you want something, if you really want it, you have to prove a, that you want it. You have to prove that you're worthy of the opportunity to take it and um, that you're willing to do whatever it takes. So I wanted I wanted my own place. I wanted my own place in the city. And that summer I had three different jobs. Um, Blockbuster, when it was still around, <laughs> I worked at Blockbuster. I worked as an intern in an, in an architectural um, expediting firm. And I also sold knives that summer because I really wanted that space, that mind space. I wanted my own space. The entrepreneurial, then, yeah. To, yeah, to then yeah. be able to, I guess, create space. So that was a pivotal moment. It was a, a little bit of a tug of war, but my parents allowed me to, allowed me the space to sort of fall on my face and let me know that if I did actually like fall on my face, they'd be there to pick me up and drop and dust me off. Um, but th I think that changed a lot for me because it, it stuck to the theme of, you know, you want something, go out and get it. There's going to be struggles for everybody and you can moan about it. But then what are you doing? After you've had your little whinging session, what are you doing about it? So that was a, an aha moment for me. And that's a theme that I try and continue as, as I are you, are you doing anything like blogging or, or any sort of uh, anything to share your message? Yes, I I wouldn't call it blogging. Um, I'm very active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I think that that's my that's been my platform. I I really enjoy the fact that quite a lot of it is visual, and if you fancy writing something to go along with the visuals that you put up, you can do. It's not as um, talkative as, as some as, of the other platforms, but I think that as visual people, um, we appreciate things like Instagram and uh, places where you can sort of see rather than just sort of reading what we're doing. So um, one of the things that I'm involved in, as I mentioned before, about giving a voice to the people that may not have the same yeah. opportunity is I'm chair of diversity and inclusion at my local center for architecture. So it's the, the one for New York, which is one of the largest ones, yes, yeah. um, if not the largest. And um, on diversity and inclusion right now, one of the initiatives that we're working on, we actually received a research grant for it, is um, trying to figure out what's happening to our profession. So we've changed in terms we've evolved in terms of technology you know like many of us now my my office is 100 percent revit and we like our consultants to use 100 percent revit <laughs> but even though we have changed the technology we're essentially doing the same things that the person back on the drawing board with the mainline was doing we haven't we've changed technology but we haven't necessarily um updated our culture as a profession and my co-chair and I, when we attend things at the Center for Architecture, we look around and it, there are still the same issues that we saw or that were spoken about when 50 years ago, you know, still very much so. And we do our bit in, try, in terms of trying to encourage the other architects of color or of different 
different experiences that have interesting stories to come and join us and let them, let them know that they also have a seat at the table because if you don't show up, yeah. there's not very much that you can you can do. Or if you just sort of leave yourself, exclude yourself, there's not much that you can do. So, sorry, back to the research grant. We're trying to figure out what's happened um, between academia and the workplace. First year of any architectural school studio, pretty much, it's pretty diverse there. Like, you know, in the basement of Shepherd Hall at City College, you looked around, there's like 125 of us scrambling for a space and a, and a table and whatnot. And there's all sorts, you know, it's, it's about 50 to 60% women. There's all shades and cultures represented. Um, as you know, in a five-year program, the graduating class for us was about like 30 odd, like just slightly under 40. So something obviously happens in academia. Maybe people find out that it's not the path for them and they want to pursue something else. And But there are also the people that want to but may not have, don't feel like they've got the support to do so. Then something else happens when you get to the workplace. So of my graduating class of you know, maybe 37, something like that. We'll, we'll say that for argument's sake. Um, I would say that maybe 15 to 20 are working in architecture firms in a traditional capacity. Others have gone to the private sector. And I'm, we're trying to find out what, what the issue of attrition really is. Why are people leaving? So my, my uh, teammates and I at the Center for Architecture and within Diversity and Inclusion Committee have generated a survey to figure out beyond the demographics, why are people moving on? Like where, what is our membership base right now? And New York City is, you know, famed for being the, the crosswalk of all sorts, all sorts of people from different places, myself included. We're trying to use New York City as a microcosm and saying like, look, if we're having this issue in New York City, how is it in the Midwest? How is it further afield? You know, it's a, more of a, a study on the state of the profession and what we can do to encourage our bright young minds to stay. So, yeah. Have you have you connected with Rosa Shang? At, yes. At Equity yes. by Design? We, we are. And we're actually using her work um, through equity, equity by design, which was previously, I think, the missing 32%. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I saw her also at convention and we, we touched base and all of that. We've also had her host um, her current work before she becomes president next year of in San Francisco. We've had her um, host her recent work at the Center for Architecture as well. So we're in touch and right. we're using... Um, some of her data as well as a, a comparison for where we are right now in 2017. Um, the convention, I, should, I need to stop calling it convention because they've, they've yeah. rebranded yeah, so it. Yes, I do the same thing. The design conference, <laughs> the AIA design conference next year is going to be held in New York City. It's also the 50th anniversary of Whitney Young's um, you know, pivotal speech. And we, we want to touch on all the work that's been done. Like diversity and inclusion is not necessarily a new idea, but we are trying to take on new approaches. It's not 
a case of color or gender. We it's 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 a bigger issue, like caregiving, the things that make your story slightly different um, to everybody else's. We recently had Joel Sanders come in and present his his stalled um, initiative, his his work on that, which is basically talking about the ways in which restrooms and other service spaces like that um, do not necessarily cater to people who may have to caregive or are differently um, capable, you know, uh, physically. And those are other elements of diversity. So myself and Vanessa Alisay and my co-chair, we're very passionate about extending um, our reach beyond the obvious, you know, like that. that there's a, a graphic that... Um, AIA National is, is shared about that sort of tip of the iceberg, the things that you see that make us very obviously different, right? Yeah. And then there's the things below the surface of the water that are much more deep set, like, you know, how were you raised and where did you live and all of those, all of those things. And we, we want to shine a light on that as well um, and understand that the people that we're catering for, the um our, our client base, really, they're evolving. And as a profession, for us to be able to fully service them, we need to be able to do the same and not just like hop on about the same issues from 50 years ago. But we all, we have to cast a wider net also. Yeah. I, I love your message and I love your approach. Um, if there's anything that I can do to help you with anything you're doing, let me know. Um, I'm happy to uh, share my community and my platform with you guys to do whatever you want to do. Uh, it's a very important issue that you're talking about. And I and I really love the message all the way through this conversation that we've had. Uh, I really appreciate the way you're approaching it. Uh, let's get into some quick questions. Um, and we don't need to do all of them. A bunch of them you've already answered. So let's let's uh, let's go down to um, to what makes you happy other than architecture. What makes you happy? Any any specific hobbies or things you, you like doing? I do love to travel. Uh, we recently went on a quick holiday, my family and I, and um, it's nice to see different places and also see how my, my daughter, soon to be two daughters, um, <laughs> interact in, in a new space. Um, it, I love that. I do love traveling. I still like to draw. I like reading. Um, no, that sort of thing. What's the best advice you've ever received? Huh. Wherever you are, wherever you go, there you are. That's how it goes. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter how much your surroundings change. You're pretty much the same person. I, I do believe that we adapt, we evolve. Um, but you know, if you're one of those people that's like, oh, you know, I've worked in a small firm, I hate it here. Then you go to a large firm, you hate it there as well. I think you might need to sort of turn <laughs> inward and yeah. uh, look at look at whether or not look what look at what the constant is. So that that's the best advice I've gotten. Do you have uh, one personal habit or daily routine that contributes to your success? Yes. Um, I carry a notebook pretty much every place. Everyone that knows me knows I'm always writing things down. So I am I'm a visual person, but I have to learn through doing as well, like a kinesthetic learner. So writing things down helps me organize them in a visual sense, and um, it, it really does help me to 
stay organized and be able to sort of track progress of things. You mentioned goals earlier. Yeah. It's nice to look back at an old notebook from, you know, five years ago and see what you were thinking and see how far you've gotten now. Yeah, I, I have notebooks like that as well. And I love going back to them years and years ago and looking at look at those the little seeds of the ideas that have yeah. that have actually blossomed into my architecture firm and here at Entree Architect. Little things that I never imagined that this is what would come from that little seed. It's really uh, a great thing to do is to is to write those ideas down when they come into your mind. It really is. Yeah. How about a, a recommended app or an internet resource? Mm. When I was doing my ARES, um, Life of an I came across Life of an Architect. Um, Bob Borson. Yeah. Oh yeah, love him to bits. I still haven't gotten the chance to meet him in person, but um, his he he encouraged me to keep going with with my, the pursuit of my licensure, my license, I should say. And um, it was also a really good tool to know like what to expect. I, I kind of wish I'd come across it. I don't even know if it was around then, but when I was in school, like sort of what to expect from a firm and realizing that it's not all drafting, it's not all of any one thing. Um, it's, you know, construction administration, which is my, my favorite part of my job. Um, and I think that was a really useful tool. And then there, there's a, I know on Instagram, she goes by Jenny PDX. I, she had a, a blog a while back about her progress through doing the ARAs. And, um, it was, it was super helpful to me, like to know that I wasn't alone. Then of course, ARV coach. I, I know this all sounds like ARE driven, but as you know, it's a very taxing yeah. examination and like process to go through. And, you know, if you, if you are one of those people that has failed, it can be very discouraging. So yeah. those were resources that really helped me through. Great. Do you have a recommended book and why would you recommend it? I actually just, um, I'm, I'm still finishing it up. The Art of Risk by Kate Sukel. Um, it sort of, it speaks about being on the precipice of of uh, something new and you're not really sure what it is. It, it can be like career or it can be personal. I think she talks about both and sort of taking that leap. Um, but as I've, as I've, I've said in, in other places, I think that, you know, risk is important and it's, it's not something that you should shy away from. You have to sometimes take a leap and just hope that you're going to be okay on the other side of it. But when you know that you're banking on like, you know, the future of yourself and the future of the things that are important to you, it's definitely something that's worth taking. And once you sort of face that, you know, daunting fear, it's something that you can always look back on and say, you know, well, I, I did that once, you know, I can do anything not to, not to get a massive ego, but just to sort of encourage yourself through. Yeah. Those, those incremental successes give exactly. you confidence to take the next leap, just exactly. one, one small step at a time. And you exactly. become, you, you reached your goals. Uh, what is one thing that an entrepreneur architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So that's sort of a quick thing that somebody can do to see some progress in a rel relatively short amount of time. You touched on it earlier which is sort of having your blinders on. I think as an architect, we have to, we have to look up. 
um, my hashtag on, on Instagram is always looking up and it's a, it's literal, you know, as an architect, I go to a restaurant and I'm looking at how they've done right. the ceiling and, you know, is it, is it a bit of a mess or have they done it really well, elegantly, you know, is it something to behold? And it's also the fact that, it, you know, we tend to sort of look down at our laptops or our drawing boards or whatever tools you use and just sort of zone in, but we also have to zoom out and look around and look up and looking up is also part of being um, optimistic. So I would say for anybody who is at a transitional period, where, whether you're working in a firm like myself or whether you are, you know, going off and doing your own venture, it's to continue to be positive about the thing that you love, find a passion within that and pursue it. Maybe it's not all in your, within your, you know, the job that pays you. Maybe it's like getting involved in different organizations. Um, that was something for me. Like I am passionate about diversity and inclusion and I'm passionate about the future of architecture. So um, it, it's things like that. And also getting involved. We can whine from here until forever about all of the things that are wrong in architecture. But there, you have to look and say, you know, well, why am I still doing it? And if there's any part of you that still wants to do it and still like gets a, it gets a fire in your belly to do it, then, you know, show up, come to a few things. You know, I don't like to use the word networking so much. It's a bit ick, but, um, go out and meet people and try and make meaningful connections. I think FaceTime is very important. We don't, you don't know who you're going to meet. Um, and just get out there. In, in summary, yes, <laughs> get get out there and and always always look up. Yeah, you you have uh, been very inspirational here in this conversation, and you've given lots and lots of uh, pieces of of advice and guidance. Uh, is there one last piece of of guidance that you'd like to share with the audience, and then we'll wrap things up? Um, I'll I'll. I'll give you the short version, which is stay true to yourself. Um, it doesn't matter what the expectations of your, the family that you came from are, or what the family that you've made are. At the end of the day, you have to be true to what is important to you. Like when you look at yourself in the mirror or you're you know, laying your head on your pillow, are you pleased with what you've done? And if not, then, you know, you need to, you might have to change a few things, but stay true to yourself. Whatever stage in life you are, you are in, do what feels right to you. Follow your dreams, follow your passions and take a, take a moment every now and then to sort of look around and check in with yourself for sure. Good, good stuff. Great stuff. Uh, what's what's the uh, the best way somebody can connect with you if if uh, what we're talking about here resonates with somebody and they want to reach out to you and talk or or just ask you a question? What's the best way to connect? I basically live at the Center for Architecture in New York, <laughs> New York and uh, a lot of our diversity and inclusion stuff is on the Center for Architecture's calendar. Um, I'm always out and about probably less so in the, in the next few months, <laughs> but you can almost always find me on Instagram. Um, I post pretty much every day 
and it's stuff from my personal life and my pri- my private. I don't necessarily necessarily um separate them. So don't be surprised if you see a picture of a building next to a picture of my daughter or, you know, something I come across. You can almost always find me on Instagram at uh, Wallendog. And you can you can add the link and so yeah, on. Yeah, we'll have it on the show notes. That's how we connected. I, yes. I, uh, I connected to you through Instagram, started following you. Uh, I think you're a fascinating person and this confirms it. Uh, I, I, um, I really enjoyed our conversation here and I really, really appreciate you uh, for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark, and we'll keep talking. Absolutely. If you liked what we shared here today, share this episode with a friend. The link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 176 and all the show notes, everything that we talked about, Danny and I, is there. Complete show notes, a link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 176. And don't forget to go visit. Go As soon as you, you share this episode with a friend, then go to entrearchitect.com and check out what we're doing over there. Check out Entree Architect Academy, our private online membership program built for you. It'll help you build a better business. You can, you can do it. EntreeArchitect.com. Go check it out. We have three different levels, all different ways of joining, different price levels. I think you should go check it out. It'll change the way you do architecture. It'll change your business. It'll change your life. EntreeArchitect.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share. Share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. 
I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.